Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in 1 Peter today, and I just want to open up right away with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. We are chosen. And here we see the work of the Trinity in us, according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ and and sprinkled in His blood. Those are the three persons of the Trinity. We're reminded that God is at work in every phase of our lives, starting a new series on First Peter. We've been looking at what it means for the Christian to take up their cross, to take up his cross. In fact, you can't be a Christian if you don't take up the cross of Christ. Um, the imagery, the imagery is gruesome, isn't it? I mean, if we think, I mean, it's an implement of torture and death, not just death, but, a, but an ugly death. Uh, uh, somebody inevitably it doesn't take long before somebody up somebody on social media puts up a picture of a guillotine or an electric chair and says you Christians realize that if Jesus died a different way you'd have that on your wall well yes absolutely that uh, instead of cross necklaces if Jesus was beheaded we'd be wearing guillotines around around our neck or you know that that that's true absolutely I believe that 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 They always treat that like a gotcha moment, not realizing that's exactly the point. That gruesome death is the image of our salvation. The imagery is horrible. It is crazy to the world that we look to that gruesome image as a wondrous thing, but it is. That that gruesome image is also our salvation. And I think that that's what the book of 1 Peter is in part about What kind of crazy people would revel in the cross? Well, there's a lot here. And so I want to dig into that. And so we we pick up in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's a long sentence with a lot to unpack already. We have a new birth in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. 
We talked about this last week. The power of the Holy Spirit transforms us, transforms His people. It's what the Holy Spirit does. But uh, there's a couple things we should, we should qualify about this that we should understand. One, it is true that some people need a little more transformation than others. That, that's okay to say. Some people, some of us, were blessed to grow up in Christian homes under Christian values and principles, and the call to follow Christ is not completely alien. Um, for me, my father was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, my becoming a Christian and realizing I needed to make this my own faith was obviously not that different from the way that I was raised. It was just taking the values that my mom and dad put in me and accepting them as my own. Um, and so it wasn't a big shift to try to say, I need to be Christ-like. My parents had been telling me that my whole life. Uh, Now, having been raised pretty good, let me be very clear, pretty good, or or maybe some people are even very good growing up, we know that that's not good enough to get into heaven, right? We're not trying to say some people are already going there because they were raised in Christian homes. We still, all of us still need God's grace. There's always room for improvement to become more Christ-like in everybody's life. Even once you become a Christian, it's not like, well, now I'm Christ-like, right? And And that gets to part two. We are all called towards transformation. Part one, some of us have more, have more transformation that we need in our lives than others. Some people were raised in, 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 in homes that maybe there wasn't much uh, Christ-like image given. Maybe mom and dad weren't that good because they, weren't, because they weren't Christians, and therefore they don't instill Christ-like values in their kids. Um, so I, I would say that for, the first thing I would say is that whether we have a long way to go or we were raised with the idea that we should be Christ-like, we still have that way to go. The second thing then, we all need transformation, and that's a lifetime pursuit. It doesn't happen overnight. We, we don't become a Christian and then wake up the next morning and say, I'm like Jesus, I'm done. Uh, it, it takes time. Some habits, some old habits die hard. And sometimes... We've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and it suddenly dawns on us there's this thing that I've been doing, and, I, and, and suddenly now, after 30 years, 40 years, the Holy Spirit is convicting me that this needs to change as well. I'm always amazed that those things come up on me sometimes, that I, I, it suddenly dawns on me. Here's something else. I, I, I sh- should have been working on that, but I didn't even see it till now. Transformation takes time. No one transforms overnight. The problem is when there's no transformation. Because the Bible assures us the Holy Spirit will change us. When we are in Christ, we are new people. We have a new birth. And so if there's nothing new, if I became a Christian and nothing changes, it would make us question. And, and it should. Uh, what, make us question whether or not we have been open to the Holy Spirit. Calling yourself a Christian and not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, I question whether that's even Christianity. When we became a Christian, we began the process of changing. And if we didn't change, then maybe we didn't really become a Christian. It was just lip service. We all go through this. And again, we don't change overnight. If you're not a Christian and you today say that you want to be baptized into the name of Christ and become a Christian, 
there's not going to be an instant change tomorrow. But if you, if you accepted Christ as Savior, Savior, baptized into his name five years ago, you changed. You absolutely changed. And, and it might take a while to think about that, but you're not the same person that you were. And, and if we think, take some time, we could probably look back and see, this is what the old me would have done. But the, and, and maybe it's just I'm not as, as, I'm not as angry when I get cut off in traffic. That's a change. Right? There, there are changes. Peter says we are born into a hope and into an inheritance. Our amazing God is transforming us to be more Christ-like, more godly. And all we have to do is be open to the Spirit. Can't do it on our own. Not trying to say that at all. But when we become a Christian, we become receptive to the changes that God wants to make in us. We have a new birth. But we have a new birth that leads to suffering. Look at verse, we pick up in, in verse 5, six, verse 6. In this, in this new birth, you greatly rejoice, though for now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have a new birth, but we move from a new birth to to suffering. The problem, says Peter, if it's a problem, we'll get back to that, is that new birth brings with it suffering. Now, let me again, I've said this before, but let me again say, suffering does not mean I cheated on my taxes and the IRS caught me. Um, That's... That, that's self-inflicted. You do, you do something bad, you speed, you get a speeding ticket, that's not suffering for being a Christian. Let me also say that that's not earthquakes and tornadoes. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. We don't get to say, we're not talking about, that, that doesn't mean that that's not suffering, but it's not the suffering that Peter is talking about. Um, Christians and non-Christians alike were killed in 9-11. That's not what we're talking about. The suffering Peter is talking about is suffering for being a Christian. Now, here we are, blessed to live in the USA. The the uh, for, from an, I, I think the best country on earth. That's not just patriotism. Uh, having been to over a dozen countries, the freedoms that we have here, the 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 resources, the wealth, the luxury, all of these things, the the, the religious freedom. I think I think any way that you cut it. I think this is, this is an amazing country to live in. Um, and and part, part of that comes with it, that we don't suffer much for being a Christian uh, here in the U.S. doesn't mean at all. There are some people that will be told by their boss, you can have a promotion, but you're going to work on Sundays. And some Christians will say that's not on the table. Then, well, then you're not getting a promotion. Is that suffering? Of a sort. It's not like getting killed for being a Christian, but that happens. Uh, when I, I lived in, on Long Island, New York, from fourth grade through seventh grade, and during those years on Long Island, there were, there were two kinds of kids I went to school with, Catholic and Jewish, and that was it. Everybody on Long Island is Catholic or Jewish, except for me. And did I get picked on for that? I did. I, I, I don't look back on those years with a lot of fondness for my school years of fourth grade through seventh grade. I look, on, I look back on those years and got beat up a little more than I wished. Uh, is that suffering for being Christian? Well, yeah, 
I don't, did it scar me for life? I don't think so. Uh, it, it was unpleasant. But at the same point, there are people in Africa and the I mean, people in the Middle East, if you're a Christian in the Middle East, it can be a death sentence if, if, if they find out. Uh, there are countries where it is illegal to have a Bible study or to read the Bible or, or to, certainly there are a number of countries, it's illegal to tell people about Jesus. Eh, I didn't suffer like that. I recognize, now that doesn't mean that when I, when I say things like that, that it's not suffering. We as Christians in the United States, just put that in context. The, the time that Peter's talking about is time when people were killed, stoned, their property seized for being a Christian. Um, people all over the world are being tortured and killed f- for Christ, and, and we hurt with them. We recognize that what we're going through is tough. We also recognize, and we don't want to discount that, but we also put that in context and say, and there are people that are suffering even much worse than we are, and we pray for our brothers and sisters. But Peter says, this is a good thing. It's not a problem. If anything, he says, we rejoice in suffering. And that's, and that's crazy talk. The world certainly would call that crazy. But Peter says, it proves our faith is the genuine article. Fake diamonds scratch. The test between a real diamond and, the, and those cubic zirconiums or whatever, the real diamonds don't scratch the way that fake diamonds do. And fake gold tarnishes and, and maybe discolors your skin. Uh, fire, Peter says, refines and it burns away the dross. We may not like the fire, but our goal isn't our comfort, but for our faith to grow. The goal is to draw closer to God. And suffering, Peter says, has a place. It can help us whittle out the things, burn away the things that that distract us from God and focus on what is important. And if suffering can do this, then we rejoice in our suffering. We move from, from a new birth to suffering, but not for the sake of suffering, because suffering helps refine our faith so that we are prepared for our salvation. We keep reading in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. A new birth brings suffering, but suffering perfects our salvation, which is always our goal. God doesn't care if you're wealthy and honestly healthy. Don't get me wrong, God loves us. Health is important, but that's not His end goal. Uh, Good Christians get sick, they suffer. They're not bad Christians because they're sick. There's no karma of... of, uh, Well, I cheated on my taxes, therefore my health will suffer from that. 
Money and health, they're great in the life of the Christian when used for ministry. Uh, Financial freedom allows us, when we're not struggling to make ends meet, we're a little bit freed up to minister a little more easily. Health, if you're not bedridden, you can tell more people about Jesus. Uh, I don't want to say that neither money nor health are, are, are bad. They're good in context. But God's goal is the salvation of, of your soul, not the comfort of your body. We're all go- None of us will live forever on this earth. We're all going to die one day. Our health will not last. Anything that leads us closer to Christ is wonderful. And anything that distracts us from Christ is a bad thing. And, and money can be a distraction from following Christ in some people's lives. And in other people, that tool can be used to bring people to Christ. Salvation is such a big deal that Peter says that even angels want to look into these, into these things, how God is saving his people. The prophets prophesied, but, but Peter says they didn't fully get God's plan. They couldn't, looking forward, they knew that God was going to do something, but they didn't entirely get how he was going to do it, how he was going to save mankind. They knew there was a Messiah coming, but just how the Messiah was going to work, some of them came close. I think Isaiah and I think Zechariah and some of these prophets were, 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 were just on the edge of getting it. But how could they, with human minds, grasp the wonders of what God was going to do? They prayed, they studied, they wanted to see what God would do to save all men one day. I think we are blessed. I believe that we are blessed that we live today when we know God's plan of salvation. When we can look back and see this is how God did it through Christ and the cross. Your salvation is worth more than anything that you will ever own. Nothing compares to our salvation. And if you've been in the church for a long time, it's easy to take it for granted. But it's a big deal. Angels and prophets wanted to know what we know and what we can take for granted. In that sense, our salvation is common to us. And it's common in that Christ made himself easy to find today through the church, through evangelism, Common does not mean cheap. We have it in common. It's easy to come by, but it's not cheap. It costs God everything. This salvation, and by everything I mean His own Son, this salvation uh, is priceless. Nothing compares to it. It is a covenant relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not church attendance, right? It's not just calling yourself a Christian. It is, it is everything. It is, it is that transformation of who we were to who we could be, who God made us to be. And so, knowing that we move, Peter says, from new birth through suffering to salvation, we have so many great things. Read with me in verse, verse 13. Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We are set apart. We are We are called to be holy. That's what it means to be holy. Therefore, since your faith is being tested, be godly, be Christ-like, be set apart, be holy. 
And Peter details what this means. One thing that you cannot get away from when we talk about Christianity is the call to be obedient to Christ. Unfortunately, in the day and age that we live with tele-evangelists, if you only watched them, you would think that the number one call is to send them your money. <laughs> if you pray hard enough, you deserve to get what you pray for. I, I, I hate tele-evangelists. I'm not saying they're all bad. I don't watch them at all anymore. I used to watch them a little bit and by and large didn't like them. Um, that doesn't mean that they're all bad, but most of them seem to be saying, send us your money, and, and if things are going wrong in your life, pray a little bit harder, and God will, it's this contract that God owes you. If you, if you give enough and pray hard enough, then you'll, these things will happen. And that's not biblical at all, that health and wealth gospel. That's, that's not Christ, that's Santa Claus who grants wishes. Following Christ isn't about making God give you stuff. Following Christ is following the Son of God, the, the, the God who created the universe and created us and deserves to be followed because He's God, not because we want stuff. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to belong to Him. And it makes us different. Holiness, being set apart to God, it's not something that, that you get... You don't get to call yourself holy in the way that you don't get to just call yourself a Christian and do whatever you want. Holiness, holiness isn't something that just happens because you call yourself a Christian. If it did, Peter wouldn't spend his time saying, uh, charging us to do things differently, to, to be something, to live in a certain way. He would say, sit on your chair and wait for God to change you. But that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to action. He doesn't say, just say, let God change you. What he says is, obey Christ. Follow Him. Holiness is not just what God does in you, but it's what we then do to ourselves through self-control and obedience and self-discipline. New birth makes us different. And holiness then is the process of becoming even more different. When we strive for holiness... We're giving God greater room to work in our lives. Not because He needs it. He doesn't need anything. We, we need it. We need to be receptive to how God wants to change us and to not resist Him, His Spirit. We are set apart to Him. We keep, we keep reading. Verse, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's works, work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Peter says, we're strangers in this world. There's no question that God is a stranger to most people in our world. Today, certainly, our world doesn't know Him, doesn't recognize God. They, some of them don't care to, or some people, unfortunately, say that they follow God and then they create God in their image. His politics are their politics. His, 
his, the things that are important to God are the things that are important to them. They've built God, and, and He already approves of everything they're already doing. They don't need to be transformed. They're transforming Him. But that's a fake God. Such a God isn't real. We, follow, we who follow God must therefore recognize that if we follow the true God, then we will be seen as strangers like He is a stranger to this world. Redeemed from the world, we don't fit the world anymore. And that's okay. We're not sticking around anyway, are we? We're not destined for this world for forever. God, says Peter, God is impartial. And this makes him stranger because our world is not impartial. Um, who, Who you know matters. Some people get partial, preferential, favorite treatment. In the ancient world, that was certainly the case. You were, some people were born into amazing families and they got all the nobility and the, and the, and the wealth and other people were born into poverty and slaves and, it was a sl- and, and there was a caste system. And, and it's that way today too. We're not an impartial world. Who you know matters. Who, what family you were born into can matter. You know, and, and I love the U.S. that there's greater room to be born into nothing and rise, rise out of it. Nothing as far as the world calls it. But it's still about who you know and right timing and lucky breaks. And True impartiality is a foreign concept to our to world because humans are just, that's, that's our nature. We're all subjective. We live in our own heads. We see the world through our own eyes. We are the heroes of our own story. But God is foreign, alien, stranger to the world, God has always been this way. His salvation is not based on who you know, where you were born. It's given freely to everybody the same. In that sense, it is impartial. Holiness is impartial. All of us have the same chance to give our lives to God and to be holy. First, uh, Peter, uh, in, in Acts chapter 10, verse, verse 34, um, Peter says this, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and who do what is right. That, that, is, that is the God that we serve. There's no favoritism. There's no inheritance of, well, my parents were Christian, so I've got a better chance. His salvation is based not on birth, but upon following Him. Our own, our own ability to, to follow Him, to fear Him, to do what is right. When we follow God and do what is right, we will stand out. We will be strangers to this world, and that's what we want. We want to be holy and to be set apart to Him. We don't want the world's favoritism. We want God's favoritism. And so we finish up this chapter in First Peter with verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of, an imperish- but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. 
The bit that I like best here. We, we, now, since you have purified yourself through obedience, well, who purifies us? God, right? I mean, the grace, we recognize that God does through His Holy Spirit. But Peter says, but you do this. You purify yourselves. So is it God who purifies us, or, or do we purify ourselves through obedience? And this gets into the important Christian doctrine of synergism. And I do think that this is an important doctrine. It is a team effort. Now, it is not like God does 50% and I do 50%. We recognize that, that following God takes the combination of both wills. God offers through His grace the chance for us to follow Him, and He doesn't make us. We also then have to choose to follow Him. My obedience without His grace is just works and doesn't do anything. God's grace without my acceptance, He doesn't work that way. He doesn't save everybody. Some people, are, some people will, will live forever with Him in heaven, and some people won't. And the difference isn't God's love because God loves everybody. God's grace, salvation is offered to everybody. In fact, we couldn't accept Him. If he didn't offer us grace, we have a pet dog named Taffy, and Taffy's not a Christian because Taffy doesn't understand the gospel. (laughs) I don't believe that Christ died for my dog, and I don't believe that Taffy needs to accept Jesus, and she doesn't have even the mental ability to understand it, right? God has The fact that we can talk about Jesus, reject or accept, is God's grace, that he has allowed us to be able to understand our need, might reject it, but we have the ability to accept that we need. That alone is His grace. Before we've ever accepted or, or rejected, but having offered us grace, then we choose to follow Him, and that's what synergism is. That's the, I, synergism, sin, with uh, inner, inner, energy, work. Literally, it is a word that's in the New Testament that describes our faith. Working together is, the Greek word for working together is synergism. Now that we have purified ourselves in obedience, Peter says, we have love. Here's the big difference between Christians and non-Christians. It's the sincere love that Peter here talks about. So what do I mean by this? So you've heard that there are different words for love. One of them doesn't even appear in the Bible. Phileo is a word that the Bible talks about. Phileo is this brotherly love, you know, Philadelphia, um, the, the city of brotherly love, because that's what the name Philadelphia means. Phileo is, is camaraderie. You like the pirates more than you like a different baseball team. Uh, you love them. They're your team because they're the closest team, and that's fine. That's good. That, that's, that's phileo. It, you know, you, I like my team. I don't like the other team. It, patriotism falls into this. Today on, on 9-11 is, is a patriotic day. I love the U.S. Part of why I love the U.S. is it's my country. I live here. I'd like to think if I lived in another country, I'd be patriotic to that country. I, patriotism is a good thing. It's not that phileo is a bad kind of love. In fact, if anything, it's a good thing, but, and, and people get it. That love of loving your fellows, is a good kind of love. There's eros, which is romantic love. Um, and, and, and so if phileo is, I love you because you're on my team, and eros is, we've, we've entered into this marriage, 
and I love you and you love me and we, we do things together because we're, we're a married couple, a romantic couple. But the, the love the Bible calls us to, and you know this, it's agape. And what makes agape different is you get nothing back. In, 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 in patriotism or, or forms of, of that kind of love, you get something out of it. In eros, you certainly get something out of it. But in agape, it's completely selfless. Agape is showing love and getting nothing in return. God loves all men, but an awful lot of people, the world would say, don't deserve his love. They spit at him, they, 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 they tear apart his gospel, they attack his church, but God still loves them because that's agape. Um, we are called to love others that way. Not just give money to charity, but give it lovingly. Knowing that, that maybe homeless people don't love us back, give us, maybe even get mad at us, um, but we love them anyway. Uh, not, not, because we get, not even because we get a better reward in heaven for it. Other, I'm not saying that other people can't get a glimpse of this. Non-Christians can serve in soup kitchens, and, and, and in doing that, serve their fellow man, and that's a good thing. That's a good, I want to say. But for the Christian, it should come a little bit easier. And the longer we're a Christian, the more easy it should get as we increasingly understand that God loves these people. Once them saved, they're made in His image. I struggle at times. Agape is something that I'm still learning. Will be learning all of my life, but as I get closer to God through His Holy Spirit, when I'm acting Christ-like, I hope I have more agape in my life than non-Christians, otherwise the Holy Spirit wouldn't be doing His job. But I see that, and I can show more and more agape because God allows me to. When the world sees that we have a sincere, true, unselfish love, for them, as Christ has for them, they will listen more because that's foreign to them, but they'll see that it's a good thing. And that's not even why we love it, love them. We don't love them so that they become a Christian, like a tar- you know, watch, watch the numbers in the church grow. That would, that would be getting something back from it. That would be a motive. We love others because God loves us, and that's it. We, that, that's no reason to the world, but it's the only reason that matters to us. We have been born again. We are strangers in this world, but praise God, we're going home. Our hymn of inv- I don't know what our hymn of invitation is, but that's okay. Uh, we are having a hymn of invitation. Uh, holiness is not an option for Christians. It's the thing that sets us apart to God. It's the thing that makes us Christians. If you haven't made the decision to give your life for good to Christ, to become holy, to be transformed, to not be you anymore, but to be Christ-like. I would like to talk with you today about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.